Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I'm 42, and I have two sons, Alexandre and Nathan, making me a busy mom of two under two. <laughs> Today we're talking about osteopathy and its role in preventive medicines for your family. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Heather Fox, and I'm the co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old, and I have a son named Hudson, who is a year and a half. Hello, everybody. My name is Melissa Jamistigetch. I am an osteopathic practitioner, and I'm the founder of Van City Osteopathy. And I love osteopathy, and it's my life. <laughs> well, thank you, Melissa, and thank you, Heather, for being here. So, Melissa... What is your vision of healthcare? Um, first of all, ladies, I wanted to thank you for having me on this uh, talk. Um, I think as clinicians, we can get really carried away treating, working back to back, treating one patient after another, um, building relationships, treating patients, making uh, profound life impacts in people's lives. And it's beautiful and it's beautiful work. Um, but talks like this are really important because they bring scale. We can get really, you know, we can, we can lock ourselves in our clinic and work back to back, but it's really important to do talks like this. And so over the years, I um, found that I had a very unique vision of healthcare. And this is the reason why I probably became an osteopathic practitioner. I have this idealistic view of healthcare and the role preventative, collaborative, and holistic healthcare um, plays to eradicate disease. Um, I'm aware that this is idealistic. And I know that it won't change tomorrow. Uh, it probably won't change in my lifetime. It won't change in my children's life or my children's children's life. But I'm committed to it on a daily basis. Every treatment, every interaction I have with a patient, um, this is why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. What is exactly osteopathy? Osteopathy, plain and simple, is the opportunity to service humanity in a very profound and humbling way. Um, A.T. Still is the founding father of osteopathy, and he says it's an opportunity to experience the magnitude of the heavens. It is a form of manual, hands-on medicine in which our hands are listening to a system that creates living function and sustains them. Um, we use our hands diagnostically, therapeutically, and perceptually. We're listening to essentially nature at work, um, the indwelling therapeutic faces, forces pardon me, that heal and sustain health. Um, osteopathy is based on the natural laws and as clinicians, we're naturally interested in embryology and its motion and its physiological wisdom. Um, osteopathy is also an art. Uh, it's a spiritual science. Um, what do you mean? Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, a spiritual science in, in the metaphysical world. Like it's not woo woo or anything like that, but rather, um, as you start to grow and develop yourself in this work, you know that there's a higher, much more profound wisdom at work. And it's so profound that you simply lose the desire to know because in that moment is so completely fulfilling for you and your senses. So it's just a very beautiful experience and you cannot go back to just 
working on tissue and bones, muscles, ligaments. It's a very profound moment in your career when you start to acknowledge something else much more um, intelligent. And I think um, the importance is to bring spirituality back into medicine. And we do this, to be honest, in my opinion, is, is through compassion. Karen Armstrong uh, has done a great TED Talk in which she's defined compassion. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And if you have the opportunity, you should watch it. And she talks about compassion being a state where you're very present and you've acknowledged, you acknowledge the suffering in someone else and you want to help. However, you have to be very present where the sense of me, myself, I, ego cannot survive. It's no longer about you. It's about whoever you're helping. And naturally, as an effect of being in that present state is things like humility, generosity, gratitude, patience, all of those. They, they just naturally come. And so I just found that very beautiful. And, and, and instinctually, your instinct as a clinician is you just want to help. I don't know how I'm going to help everybody that comes into the clinic, but I'm going to try my best. And we're not experts. We are forever students. And I think as experts, we can get very caught up in you pay me for my expertise. I know everything. I'm the expert. Those are man-made laws then. You know, if somebody comes in with a sacroiliac joint dysfunction because, you know, she's eight, eight weeks pregnant, or pardon me, uh, eight months pregnant, and, you know, I'm going to do this to induce this effect, and I'm going to, you know, because I've done A, B, C, and D, I'm going to be attached to this outcome, I'm no longer present. I am doing something, it's man-made, and I'm expecting a certain result. I have completely disregarded the body's capacity to heal. I completely disregarded the natural laws, the wisdom that's there. So we start to define a patient very differently in osteopathy. And a patient is defined as an expression of life. They are not a disease. So in the allopathic model, your MDs are, you are cancer, you have cancer. In osteopathy, a patient is an expression of life. They bring with them not only their medical case histories and their life experiences, but they bring with them a wisdom that is far more intelligent than we are. And if you read any of Carl Jung's stuff, he says that that wisdom is about 2 million years old. So, you know, why wouldn't you want to be a student and learn from something that is essentially far more intelligent than you are? Mm -hmm. So, Heather, do you want to share your experience Because I know you've seen an osteopath before, right? Yes. Yeah. So it was um, when I was pregnant with Hudson, um, I was having issues. Well, I'd, first of all, I'd had a car accident before my pregnancy. And so I already had some back and neck, neck issues from that. And then with the pregnancy, I was dealing with a lot of um, pelvic issues with the actual bones. And um, it's called pubic symphys dysfunction and It's basically where the pelvis is kind of separating because there's a hormone called relaxin in your body when you're pregnant, and that allows your joints to soften and separate and relax for childbirth. However, me having a hypermobile body already, it was like my body was like on an overdose of relaxin, and things were just too loose, and I wasn't having the support now because of my back injury plus my pelvis doing this not nice separation. So I was dealing with a lot of pain. Walking was excruciating. Yeah, everything was very, very, very painful. Um, so I had an amazing doula, Colleen Holder, and she was like, okay, you need to see Melissa. <laughs> so, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Uh, so she, um, and at this point, I mean, I was not even able to drive. So Colleen's like, don't worry, 
I'm going to get you to see Melissa. She booked the appointment. She took me there. And um, that's right. Colleen yeah. drove you. She I drove remember that. <laughs> yes. So she went above and beyond. That is a beyond. good service. That by is the way. like, oh my gosh, Brilliant. that was above and beyond. Colleen was amazing. And um, so, anyway, so yes, so I was able to come see Melissa. And, um, and she was, able, I wasn't even able to lie down because <laughs> I was in so much yeah. pain. So <laughs> I remember now yeah. I had to treat you seated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was, it was an amazing experience. Like Melissa somehow just like was like a, so in tune to me and my body somehow. And was able, like, did you have lots of like throat infections and taught like, she was like, <laughs> like, how did you know that? <laughs> like, it was really interesting the way she was just able to kind of read my body and read my past medical experiences almost and just things that I've gone through and the fact that like I was really late in my own birth being born from my mom and things like that and I'm just like what and then there was yeah and then I did experience relief for a few days I wish I could have Melissa every like at that point (laughs) I was like it was hard to get back because um I was hoping to have the treatment more often but and then all of a sudden it was time to give birth but anyways um after giving birth postpartum I've continued seeing Melissa and it's definitely been a huge help in my mobility and um pain management and things like that with my yeah, postpartum and back and neck. So, and I think you've um, Hudson. Oh yes, and then we um, there. I normally go with my mom, so Melissa actually treats my mom as well. <laughs> it's a family it's a, event. It is a family, a family event. And we Hudson comes. And, like and Hudson. Well, at the beginning, he was lying on a sheepskin. He now cruises around <laughs> the whole room and explores all the wheels of the bed. <laughs> finds everything he can. So Melissa I got a baby to, proof. She's got a baby proof her <laughs> office. <laughs> but it's amazing because again, I'm able to bring Hudson and have a treatment for myself. So yeah. it's so amazing. So yeah. So there was this one time my mom actually was sick, so she didn't come. So um, Melissa and I were chatting and I was talking about, because Hudson's had some issues with eating and or lack thereof eating, I should say. Um, he's been very slow to kind of take um, interest. Well, not interest, I should say. Um, the actual functional ability to take solids in and swallow them. And as much as he's been super interested in food and feeds himself even, but everything kept coming out. And so anyway, so she did a little treatment on him and it was within that week after that he did start taking and swallowing more solids and it's gotten better and better. And so it's, yeah, very exciting to kind of see how she was able to help him as well. So definitely... Well, that's really great. Mm-hmm. So, Melissa, can you give us an example why people go see you? Oh, goodness. <laughs> that's a long <laughs> a list. Question. Question. <laughs> it is a loaded question. But I do love answering this question. Um, people generally seek out an osteopathic practitioner for the obvious reasons, back pain, neck pain, rotator cuff injuries, um, discal injuries, vertigo, uh, migraines, headaches, all of that. But the beautiful aspect of osteopathy is that we, we treat everything and we treat everyone. We're not limited to who we can treat, where we can treat, um, or what we can treat. And I think the question I get asked often is, yeah, but Melissa, they don't work like you. They don't treat all the things you treat. And when I finished osteopathy, I kind of made a decision that I wanted to service humanity, all of humanity, 
and everything that they would come in with because I knew that osteopathy was capable of that. So that meant terminal illness, Parkinson's, MS, uh, vertigo, dizzy spells, infertility issues, um, amenorrhea, uh, digestive issues, everything, because that was what inspired me in the first place to even become an osteopath. And so what I think a lot of people don't realize is we're all kind of obsessive about finding the root cause. And to be honest, the 90% of the population suffers from an autonomic nervous system imbalance. So what that means is 90% of the population is kind of stuck in this sympathetic fight and flight, got to go, 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 go state. And we're not meant to sustain that state for a long time, but we do. We do because we're stressed. We've got mortgages. And as you guys know, we live in the most, one of the most expensive cities in the world. We don't, a lot of us don't like their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not fulfilled. So they're in this sustained stress state. And how do you expect your immune system to function? This is why we have autoimmune diseases on the rise. This is why we have so many digestive issues now on the rise. This is why we've got so many women who can't conceive. This is why we have so many hormonal imbalances and constant inflammatory processes that are happening in the body. So it really does come down to an imbalance in the autonomic nervous system. So yes, we treat everything. We treat everyone from babies. I have treated babies in, 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 you know, preemie babies in the NICU. I've obviously treated my mom after she had cardiac um, open heart surgery. I treated her in the cardiac ICU, spinal cord injuries. We treat everything. You just go and help. Mm-hmm. Do you prescribe medication? Is it a route then you go towards or not? Yeah. No, I do not. So I do not have prescription rights. Um, I am trained as an osteopathic manual practitioner. So when I researched osteopathy, my options were to go to Australia, New Zealand, Europe, pre- predominantly the UK, or America. And only in America are osteopaths. Um, they're osteopathic physicians. So they have the title of DO. They're, they're, they're doctors. They have prescribing rights. They do surgery. They can go into cardiology and pediatrics. But when we look at the history of osteopathy and how it progressed um, and how it got recognized from state to state to state and it built, you know, essentially momentum and patients became our advocates and were fighting for us and, and to progress the profession, um, Little John, Dr. Little John was an osteopath from Glasgow who trained under the founding father of A.T. Still and said like, hey, you know, he helped him open up a school. He learned everything from him. He opened up a school in Chicago and he's like, you know, I got to bring this back to, to, to England. And this is in the 1870s, like of Midwest of America. And he decides, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to open up a school. I'm a doctor. And they're like, no, you're not. No, that's not medicine. Medicine in Europe was much more advanced. They had come up with antibiotics. Um, It was much more advanced. And they're like, do whatever you want to do. And he didn't have any advocates. There was nobody to to help him grow the profession and stand up for him. So he just set up camp, four years, manual, uh, hands-on medicine. And um, I graduated with a master's. Now that you started talking about history, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the history of osteopathy? Yeah. God, I love it. (laughs) Um, Osteopathy has such a beautiful history and and one that I'm really proud of. Um, So A.T. Still is the founding father of osteopathy. And in the 1870s, he was in the Midwest of America, and he lost three of his kids. They died of spinal meningitis. And he was devastated. Um, and then a month later, he lost, he lost another child. And he just said, God, I, I, I gave you everything. You took everything from me. 
and he got fed up. He got fed up with medicine and how it was practiced. And, and understand that medicine in the Midwest of America at that time was bleed it out, puke it out, purge it out, a nip of whiskey, arsenic, mercury. <laughs> I mean, those were your tools. No one knew to cover their mouth when they coughed and sneezed. There were no antibiotics. You know, pregnant ladies were delivering babies and they were dying because no one washed their hands. This is what we were, this, is, this was that day and age. And so you have this man who's absolutely devastated, and he was an MD, he was a minister, and he was, he was a farmer and an inventor. And he just, I guess, you know, through that unconditional love of his children, it, it propelled him to, you know, they say, he said in osteopathy, in, in, in his writings, to, you know, launch his craft as an explorer and learn his anatomy. He said that, you know, if God had to have put the pharmacy within each one of us, but we just needed to better understand it. And so there was a cholera epidemic, a bunch of, um, and he just dug up these graves. He started off with bones. Maybe that's why it's called osteopathy. We have no idea to this day. But he started off with his, he started with bones. And then he kept progressing the profession. He kept progressing his understanding of anatomy. And, and so he came up with the concept of spinal manipulations. He came up with, you know, moving your organs around visceral manipulation. He came up with joint manipulation, myofascial release. All of these things are the origins of osteopathy. And he said you had to treat the body as a whole. He's like, the body's smart. And that wisdom lies within the central nervous system. And he says, you know, you got to work with it and you got to restore normalcy. You got to make sure it has a good blood supply and nerve supply. You got to make sure the lymphatic system is draining stuff away and then leave it alone. Let the body's capacity to heal do what it needs to do. And these are our principles of osteopathy. So it's kind of like a little bit of like, oh, I get a little bit frustrated with our practitioners who want to learn all these techniques. Osteopathy is not like that. Plain, simple, logical, hands-on, the body has a story, just wait and listen. Mm. So what is osteopathy role in preventive medicine? Well, yeah, this is a whole whole topic in itself, and I know that it's the title of the topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for me, I mean, I I love kids, and that's the treatment of children. So the more babies and and kids we treat, that is uh, how... That is preventative medicine. The more stuff that we're catching in time that doesn't manifest as something greater, that's what we're essentially doing. And we often find a disease process before it completely unfolds. This is the hallmark of osteopathy and obviously preventative medicine. Traditional diagnostics on children are very limited and they do not see the problems until it's too late. So when you're working with the body's capacity to heal, the forces that grow and develop children are the same forces that heal and sustain health within us. So the more that you understand embryology and how children grow and develop, that is your foundation. And I think we really, really underestimate that kids are constantly growing on a cellular level. Like all the time, they feel like we underestimate this process. They are like a sack of fluid. On a cellular level, it's changing, changing, changing. And And on top of that, like the neurons, they're born with like a hundred billion neurons. And by the age of two to three, they're forming like 15,000 synapses a day. They're looking at things from a whole new perspective. And so when we talk about holistic medicine and the treatment of of, of the whole person, this is where children live. Children are extremely present um, they don't have any habits. They're not anticipating the, the, the future. They're not dwelling on the past. They're just very present. I mean, watch them, watch them play with a brand new toy. Mm-hmm. And so the whole premise of osteopathy is we meet them at that level. So we have to be very present. 
and our ability to feel, sense, all of that gets amplified. And, and children love treatment. I get parents and grandparents who want to come in the room and be like, I can't believe they're going to sit for you for that long. So these kids sit, they play with the toys, and then, you know, you get hands-on and you start, wow, the body's working here, 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 here. They're growing and developing here, 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 here. And there are relationships. In utero, when a baby is growing and developing, anatomy does not grow one by one by one. That baby has to be done by 40 weeks. If we waited one by one by one, that baby would be in there for years. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Yeah. So as one part of the body grows and develops, we share an embryological relationship. Other parts of the body grow and develop at the same time. So to give you an example, when we look at the mid-face, our heart, our lungs, and our foregut develop from our mid-face. They share one nerve. They share a common nerve, which is the vagus nerve, which exits at the brainstem at that level. Fascinating. So if you understand your embryology, you don't need to memorize your anatomy. So Melissa, when I had, when you um, treated Hudson that time and we were talking about him not eating and stuff, um, I'm happy if you want to share some of the things that, you know, how you were talking about how all these different things kind of play on each other and relate to each other. Yeah. So some anatomy that we kind of have at the roof of our mouth, we we call it the buccopharyngeal membrane, um, kind of like at the palate, gives rise to the growth and development of our esophagus, the trachea, and the larynx. And so I think with Hudson, and that comes all the way down, and, and we had has a relationship with our diaphragm. And so I think when things get a little bit caught up there, um, just to put it in simple terms, when things get a little bit caught up there, we, we're starting to affect the forces of growth and development. Now we're starting to develop some other compensatory patterns. So we just sit and we wait and we observe uh, those changes happening and we give them, what we need to understand is that motion is the essence of life and that's the first, um, it's like, like the first principle of osteopathy. Wherever there is motion, there is a natural direction towards normality, neutrality, and wholeness. So when we get hands-on and, and when he was a little stuck, we can like, okay, that's, that's a bit stuck there, but where is the body working? Where are the forces of growth and development working? And we support that, and then that helps facilitate a whole domino effect. And then you just you give it time. That's the beauty with kids is they respond really quickly because they don't have as many patterns as we do, Right. They're completely resilient and they're very present. So treatments just get amplified. So, so Melissa, myself, I've never seen an osteopath. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I was told that it may be a good idea to go see one because of my son's constipation. Okay. And uh, so if I go see someone like you for my son's constipation, what kind of treatment would would you do for him? Mm Mm-hmm. Genevieve, it's not going to look like much. (laughs) 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 Right, (laughs) right, Heather. Kind of. I think sometimes I joke with patients that they just come in for the chat. (laughs) Um, So I, I I would take a detailed case history, obviously. So we're going to go through, um, you know, how you were in pregnancy, fetal positioning, how things felt, um, the length of your delivery, um, if there were any kind of complications, an epidural. And I think we really underestimate what really goes on in delivery. You know, we've kind of accepted as society that pregnancy is, is really hard and it's almost like it's a disease, you know. I had this 56-hour delivery. No, no, that, that shouldn't be happening. (laughs) When the pelvis is balanced and the baby, you're optimizing fetal positioning essentially. So 
it's really important to clarify all of that in a case history, especially when, you, when, when you're dealing with pediatrics. So, um, you know, to give you an example, if a baby's had a really long, uh, long delivery and been s- sitting like that for 56 hours, head down, that's a big compressive pattern that's going all the way down the head and the neck and the spine, you know, and it's just a matter of time before we start to compensate in other ways. Um, so that's really important to clarify when, when moms come in. Also, um, baby's first scream, you know, you wouldn't think. So oftentimes when I ask, I'll, I'll be like, mom, did you, did you hear a big cry out after delivery? And, and the moms will be like, oh, Melissa, I can't remember, you know, and, or oftentimes dad will be there and I'll be like, dad, did you hear like, oh yeah, yeah, it was a good set of lungs, Melissa, or oh, not a peep. And then they'll go like, well, why do you want to know? And I'll say, well, you know, that first scream ignites this whole system and really fires it up. So when we talk about the body's capacity to heal, it like amplifies it. And so it's really important. So when we have kids that don't have a really powerful scream, um, it's almost like the gas is, the gas, the tank is full, but it's just, I don't know, this doesn't have much potency in it, you know? So those are really interesting questions to to ask and, and tell a lot more about the story. But when we talk about babies that are constipated, we need to understand the dynamics between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. We need to understand the motility of the large intestine. We need to consider the nerve supply to the large intestine, and that might come from a compression in the base of the skull. Um, It all depends on on your case history. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is everybody get a different treatment. Absolutely, right. For, so for sure. And yeah. yeah, and Genevieve, no two treat treat. Uh, pardon me, no two treatments are alike. Yeah. Um, and if they are, then you kind of screwed up the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to go back to your question, I, I once had a. a this is a, quite a funny story, but. I had a mom bring a little boy in who was very constipated and she was really concerned. I think he's about two and a half, three years old. And, um, and you know, she had taken him everywhere cause she wanted to get this dealt with. And I got hands on and I was like, no, it's all coming from his, his face, his mid face. And she's like, yeah, you know, Melissa, he's always scrunching. He's got, and, um, they ended up also sending, taking him to the eye doctor and he like really needed eyeglasses. And I was like, well, this is, the relationship to the pelvis. Wow. And after that first treatment, <laughs> the mom came back and uh, for a follow-up and she said, Melissa, he had the biggest bowel movement possible. And it was chalk white. She oh. was floored. Um, so yeah, that was great. Wow. So, <laughs> so if it was chalk white, it was been there for a long time? Uh, it had been there for, for yeah, for ages. Oh but the point gosh. is, is that you, I mean, we can move around all that stuff in the abdomen, right? But you're not getting to what's really happening. And in that particular case, he, he was working all through his mid-face. So Melissa, um, more and more these days, we're hearing about cranial sacral therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've heard, you know, different physios have recommended and things like that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that and how it might relate to osteotomy? You know, thank you, Heather, for asking that question. Um, it's such a good one and and you're going to get me a little rattled up now. Are you ready? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You got a stiff drink? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Okay. So coming back to like our history a little bit, the the, one of the, um, the students of osteopathy was Dr. William Garner Sutherland, and he was looking at the bones of a skull, and he kind of had this epiphany in his last year, and he kind of was like, I wonder if these bones breathe like gills of a fish. And if you've ever looking at, looked at the bones of the skull, they've got these squiggly bits, they're joints. And in his mind, he was really logical. He's like, well, it's a joint. A joint has to produce movement, and you know, I wonder if, if they move a wee bit. 
And so he says to Dr. Andrew Taylor, still the founding father of osteopathy, he says, you know, what do you think? Do you think they breathe like gills of a fish? And A.T. still says to him, you know, you're the only one smart enough to ask me this question. He's like, of course they have to. How else you can get the fluids up in the head? And he's like, you go figure it out. And a very osteopathic saying is, is dig on. And that's what William Garner Sutherland did for 31 years of his life. He devoted to understanding and trying to disprove his hypotheses is if, do these bones move? So he did all this crap to his own head. He had helmets, bashed his head, took these bandages, wrapped them around the head, pulled, yanked. His wife found him twice on the floor, fainted. He had concussions, vertigo, dizzy spells. He did it all to himself. And he oh said... God. He had to do them to himself because he did it to somebody else. They would have the knowledge. He needed to have the knowledge and the understanding. And he knew his anatomy. And he came out after 31 years, he says to his wife, he's like, they're going to put me in a mental institution. (laughs) He's like, these bones move. Not only do the bones move, but the membranes underneath them move. And he's like, the brain is moving and something is fluctuating the cerebral spinal fluid. And he's like, but I don't know what. And he goes back to what Dr. Andrew Taylor still says that the nervous system, he's like, the central nervous system, he's like, that's the smartest bit in the body, that, that cerebral spinal fluid, like that's where that wisdom lies. And so he finds out that there's this subtle motion, not only just in all those membranes and the bones and the brain and something fluctuates cerebral spinal fluid, but it's actually throughout the whole body. He presents it to the osteopathic community because he's starting to get these phenomenal clinical results, right? So this is innovation, this is 31 years of constant study, practice, and this is a big deal because this is the 1900s. You, those bones are fused, done, and dusted. He submitted his findings to all these universities across America, and they're like, those bones are locked. You can't pry them out with a crowbar. Sutherland says, well, of course you can't use a crowbar. It's far too big. You need a pen knife, <laughs> right, to take the bones apart of the skull, all the dead skulls, right? So he says to the osteopathic community, he's like, this is what I found this is what's going on. These bones move. These membranes move. The brain moves. And he's like, I don't know how the cerebral spinal fluid is getting through the body, but something's happening. Half of the osteopathic community is like, that's not osteopathy. That's crap. Those bones are fused. Get out of here. The other half is like, if you have something to teach, teach. So now we have osteopathy in the cranial field. So this has created a big divide within our community. We can treat structurally, you know, crack them, whack them, stack them up, get them out the door, mobilization, soft tissue, and or we can work more subtly. Again, it depends on the clinician. How do you want to service humanity? Where is your skill set? How do you want to progress your skill set? So cranial osteopathy came into the picture, big divide within our community. There was one DO, Dr. Upledger, who was against, you know, didn't think cranial osteopathy existed, didn't believe it, didn't have the skill set to feel it, and then saw something happened in a surgical procedure, saw the sacrum move and thought, my God, it does exist. He's like, this is phenomenal. Studied it and thought this needs to be applicable for everybody, not just in the osteopathic community. So if you study osteopathy, I mean, it takes a wee while. (laughs) And he thought, you know, put a weekend course applicable to anybody without the osteopathic education. So now cranial sacral therapist is very filtered down version of what William Garner Sutherland's life was devoted to understanding. And it's just based on some principles, but without the physiology, without the understanding of pathology and what's underneath your contact. So diagnostically speaking, 
when we get hands-on and you feel these fluctuations, we can tell something's inflammatory, something somebody's taken an Advil, uh, perhaps maybe celiacs, perhaps hypertensive, pre-diabetic. We, we, these are our diagnostic skills, but you don't learn them in a weekend. So the best thing to do would be to contact you as an osteopathic practitioner. Brilliant. Yeah, ideally, absolutely. I mean, again, but you've got to be your own advocate for your own yes. health and do your research. Right. Um, you know, I had one patient who was told to see a cranial sacral therapist and he was, pff, he suffered so much. He just got on the computer and started doing his research and he came across William Garner Sutherland's story and he just got fascinated by the history and came in, sat down because he, he found me and he came down and sat down. I'm like, man, this, wow, you're, you're, he was amazing me. He was telling me our history. I'm like, yeah, yeah. We hardly got any work done because we were just talking osteopathy. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Wow. So for our listeners, you can find Melissa on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca, or you can find her on her website at osteovancity.com. I think it's time for a conversation card. It's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game, not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask, sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week. Heather, can you please pick one and read it to us? Oh dear. Here we go. Yay. (laughs) Would you rather live for a week in the past or the future? Oh God. (laughs) Um... No, I don't know. (laughs) Osteopathy is all about being very present and mindful, peacefully indifferent, neutral. Let's see. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't mind reliving some things and then not. But I don't really have regrets. So what is the option? So we can go in the future for a week? Uh No. I think go in the past for a week. I can, yeah, I've had some fun on some holidays. Oh, and eating some stuff that I wouldn't mind doing that again. (laughs) That's good for you, and for you, Heather. Um, definitely the past. I don't know what the future holds. So, um, yeah, to relive a week in the past that was amazing. Like maybe when we were in Hawaii last year, that would be a pretty good week to relive. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I think I would be in the past again. I would, there's some holidays and I would yeah. definitely <laughs> yeah. go back and do all over. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I might change it. I might not. Depends how I feel, you know, yeah. but I had some pretty amazing yeah. moment in the past and I can definitely... Uh, do I have to pay for it again? Or it's just like, you know, <laughs> this changes things. Yeah, Cause I thought a lot of those, like, yeah, if I don't have to pay for my holiday twice, it's amazing. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Well, I want to say, um, thank you, Melissa. Thank you. And thank you, Heather, for being here. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for your contribution in other parents' life. Thank you. For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please contact us on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean, or you can subscribe to this podcast uh, directly on our website at parenttalk.ca. Please take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to know what you think. And also, it's a great way to let us know what other topics you would like to hear about. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. 
The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.